you've had a conversation with somebody and you've walked away and you said to yourself, he didn't get it. You've walked away from a conversation with her and you've said, no, she doesn't get it. No, no, no. That's a, that's a man that's trying to stay married. She, she doesn't get it, right? We've all had those conversations. Now, maybe you didn't say it out loud, okay? But you've said it to yourself. You've had that kind con- Anybody try to talk to an aging parent that's time to quit driving? How well did that go the first time? Dad, I think maybe, you know, there's a little danger and it's not a good idea for you to keep driving. You would walk away from that conversation and go, he, he didn't get it. I remember as a student driver, my father telling me that just because the light was green and I had the right-of-way at a four-way stop, that doesn't mean I shouldn't pay attention to the other people around me. I didn't get it. I didn't understand that until somebody ran a four-way stop, until somebody runs a red light. You just, you don't get it. You ever talked to somebody about too much alcohol? You ever said to somebody, I, I'm concerned that maybe you're, you're drinking too much? And probably that first conversation, they didn't, they didn't get it. Or someone that's spending too much money. Maybe you're concerned about debt or spending or spending habits are out of control. And you go, what? I, I don't, it's hard to say she. It could be he too, okay? Uh, he, he, he just, he just, didn't get it. In our story today, there is a man who doesn't get it. And it really makes very little sense because everything should be set up for him to be able to get it. And there's a woman in our story today that you would think would never get it, and yet she ends up in the story, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. You grew up in a home life with door number one, door number two, or door number three. You grew up in a home where maybe they just didn't get it. Mom, dad, you, kid, couldn't communicate. Maybe it wasn't a healthy home. Maybe it was a dysfunctional home. Maybe it was a home that got it. Everybody leaned in. Everybody tried. Everybody did their best. Or maybe door number three, they kind of knew how to do a home well. They just didn't live it. Everybody in this room, you've been in one of those three doors. And so today, we have a man who's very educated, he's a Jewish man, Jewish faith, knows the Ten Commandments, knows the law of Moses. This this man is a Pharisee, and yet as we walk away from this story, we're going, how did he not get it? Well, before we judge too quickly or too deeply, I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you get it? It's in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start with the verses and just kind of go right down the verses. So if you've got an iPad or a phone or a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start with verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Here we go. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, that's a great sentence. Because first of all, somebody wanted Jesus to come to their house. Now, why did the Pharisee invite Jesus? Was it because Jesus was a celebrity? Did he invite Jesus because Jesus was there and maybe would make a mistake and he could accuse Jesus? Or was he just trying to have, you know, a big show and let everybody know that he was wealthy, he had the big house, and he could afford the food? I I don't know. But in this story, Jesus invites the Pharisee to have dinner with him. Now, when you go to somebody's house in that culture, 
There was three things you always did. Water, kiss, perfume. Say that with me. Water, kiss, perfume. Say it again. Water, kiss, perfume. The very first thing that you would do is you would wash someone's feet. The roads were dusty. The roads were muddy. They had lots of animals, lots of droppings, lots of issues. So the first thing that you would do is you would pour water over someone's feet. The second thing that you would do is you would give them the kiss of peace. And the reason you would kiss them, maybe on the side of the cheeks, it wasn't anything romantic, but the kiss was to say, this is a home where you're safe. This is a home where you're going to be provided for. This is a home where I will come around you and I will protect you. So there was water, there was a kiss, and then thirdly, because people didn't have, you know, Walgreens and 24 different brands of deodorant, they would give you a little bit of perfume or a little bit of oil. That's enough said about that, right? We, we get that. So Jesus comes into this man's house, and he doesn't do any of those things. No water, no kiss, and no oil or perfume. So he went then to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. So we get the picture that Jesus is lying down. He's got his elbow on one side of the table, and his feet are stretched out this way. All right, next verse. A woman in the town who had lived a sinful life, somewhere she's met Jesus. Somewhere she's been at one of Jesus' evangelistic crusades. Somewhere this woman has had an encounter with Jesus, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life. So Jesus helped her. Jesus forgave her. Jesus told her that she would be forgiven. This woman somewhere had had an encounter with Jesus. Now, what was her sin? Well, some people think this is Mary of Magdala, that Jesus actually cast out seven demons. We don't know. Other people think this was maybe a town prostitute. We don't know. Here's what we do know. We do know that she lived a sinful life, past tense, but she's still insecure about her faith. She's still not really sure that she's been forgiven. She's still not really sure that all this is just too good to be true, but so she's going to come and maybe ask Jesus one more time and show him some gratitude. So a woman in that town who'd previously met Jesus, who'd previously heard from Jesus, who had been, you know, maybe laid hands on by Jesus. Jesus had already said to her, I know your life's a mess. I know things haven't gone well, but I want you to know I'm going to forgive you. He's already done this. He was eating at the Pharisee's house. And this is a guy named Simon. Say Simon. Simon. This is a guy named Simon at Simon's house. Now in those homes, probably Simon's house was the big house had an outside courtyard, had kind of like a square, and people would be able to have servants there, and lots of people could come. Cooler weather, they would eat outdoors. And so here's how the woman is able to slip into the house in just a minute. So a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now, how did she know this? We don't know. But wherever Jesus went, he stirred something up, people caught attention, and they heard about him. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Look at the next verse. As she stood behind him at his feet. So again, he's what? He's reclining at the at the table. He's lying down. That's how they would eat in those days. His feet would be out this way. She would, her, her head would be this way. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Now again... If you were a hostess or you were a host, it's kind of like this. Let's say that um, we lived up north. Aren't we glad we don't? But let's say that we did. 
Let's say we lived in Minnesota today, or we lived in Wisconsin today. And if you're from that area of the country, God bless you. We love you. Somebody's got to populate those states, but we're not going to, all right? So let's say that we live there, and let's say that it's about 12 degrees up in Minnesota or many, you know, Wisconsin today. So here's what Denise and I, we're coming to your house. Denise and I would come to your house, and we'd be having on a coat, gloves, hat, and she'd probably have on a scarf. And the first thing that you would do as we came into your house from up north is probably a hug. We'd probably hug each other, or give a handshake. But the second thing that you would do as a host is what? Give me your coat. Give me your gloves. Come on. Let me, have, let me have your scarf. And you would take those, and you probably would have a coat closet up north that actually had coats in it. We have a coat closet that we don't use for that because we don't wear coats down here. But you would take your coat, and you would, our coats, and you would lay them down. Then you would say, come in the kitchen. Come on, come on in the kitchen. Come and have a seat. You want some hot cocoa? Hot, you want some coffee? You want some hot tea? Here's some appetizers that are spread out here. Make yourself a, sit down and relax. That's what a good host would do. That's what a good hostess would do. This guy, Simon the Pharisee, the rich guy with the big house, provides no water, no kiss, and basically no deodorant, no oil, and no perfume, okay? As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Why? Why was she crying? Why was she enamored by Jesus? Why was she in awe of who Jesus was? And then she began to wipe them with her hair. Now, again, this is so strange to our culture. Probably today, as men and women, we've already touched each other. We've touched each other. We've given handshakes. Men and women today in our lobby, you can't help but touch people in the lobby as you go through, but we've touched each other. In that culture, a man would not touch or be touched by a woman. Jesus does both. But that's what Jesus always does. He eats with publicans and sinners. He touches people. He touches lepers. He touches women. You wouldn't wouldn't even touch that. So now she's touching him literally with her tears and with her hair. And she wiped them with her hair, and now she's kissing his feet. Simon the Pharisee, And all these other big dog religious people, they're just looking around going, what is up with this? This is so anti our culture. What's wrong with Jesus? We know what's wrong with her. She's the town, whatever. We know what's wrong with her. But what's wrong with Jesus? She wiped them. She kissed his feet and she poured perfume on them. Verse 39 says this. When the Pharisee who had invited him him saw this, he said to himself, he doesn't have the courage to say it out loud, does he? He says to himself, it's what he's thinking. You know, if, if this guy really were that Messiah, if he really were the Savior, if he really were the chosen one, if he really was the one that Moses wrote about in the prophets, he would know who is what? What's it say? Touching him. And he would know what kind of a woman she is. I mean, we all know what she is in the town. We all know who, what she's done. She is a sinner. So Jesus reads all this. I love this next part. You never get anything on Jesus. Here's what he says next. 
Jesus is basically saying, Simon, um, I got a little question for you. I got a little quiz for you, and we're going we're gonna to see how, how well you can answer this question. Simon, I, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Well, two people owed money to a certain money lender. So two people borrowed money. One guy borrowed and owed 500 denarii, and the other guy owned 50. Now, that's, both of those are still a lot of money. But let's just use different terms. Let's say one guy owes $50,000, and the other guy owes $500,000. Okay? The next verse. But, but Simon, neither one of them, the guy that owed 50K, the guy that owed 500K, neither one of them could pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? Great, great question. And Simon goes, well, you know, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, yeah, that, that's exactly the point. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? What a question that is. We all see her, Jesus. I mean, she's got tears. She's got the hair down. I mean, she's maybe the house, you know, the temple. Pro- I mean, we all see her. We all know who she is. Yeah, we can't miss her. Do you see this woman? It's a great question. Do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house. Don't miss the pro- personal problem. Your house. Not somebody else's house. I came into your house. And guess what? You didn't give me any water for my feet. Every host does that. That's just like offering somebody a glass of water. Everybody would do that. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't give me that kiss of peace. You didn't give me that sign that I was provided for, I was protected, that we were friends. You didn't give me the kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not. Again, remember, Jesus' feet weren't clean. Remember this. There had been no washing of his feet. He's kissed, she's kissing very dirty, dusty, smelly feet. You didn't. She hadn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume. She's poured perfume on my feet. And then Jesus says this. He says, Simon, I want you to understand something, and I want you to get this, folks, because if you don't get this, you're going to walk away not getting it, okay? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Then he says this, and this little phrase has forever changed my life. When I finally grasped this about 25 years ago, it's one of those watershed verses that changed me forever. He said, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And here's what Jesus is saying. Look at this statement. Jesus is saying, whoever has been forgiven little, you know what? They love little. Now let's break this down. Time out. What Jesus is saying is, Simon, you got a whole lot of sin too. But you don't think you've sinned very much. You think because you're a good Jewish boy and you go to the temple and you go to the synagogue, you think because you go through all the sacrifices, you observe the Sabbath, you tithe, you pray, you think because you do all those things that you don't have a long, tall laundry list of sins. And you think, Simon, you think you're better than this woman. 
Now, you think that because maybe you haven't sinned like her, that you're just a whole lot better. And guess what? You don't love God very much because you don't think you've been forgiven from very much. Simon, you don't get it. Let me ask you the question. Do you get it? See, people who don't get it are the ones who come on Christmas and Easter only are the ones who perfunctory go through some of the motions of Christianity. If you get it, you will fall at His feet. If you get it, you will take your hair down. If you get it, you will kiss His feet with your tears. You will wash His feet with your tears. If you get it, you will love Him. Simon, you really don't get it because you think you're great. You think you're big. You think you're bad. you got all this pride. And here she comes into this room, into this house, into this courtyard, And she's so in awe of the forgiveness of the grace and the mercy of her heavenly Father. You see, people who love much understand they have been forgiven greatly. And people who don't love God very much don't think that really they had all that much to be forgiven from or to be forgiven for. And so here's the question for you again this morning. Are you overwhelmed with what God has done for you? Or is this just kind of like a routine thing, Sunday morning and, you know, a couple times a year and a couple times a month? See, I think it's bigger than that for you. I think you're falling in love with Jesus. This isn't about coming to church. This isn't about coming to an organization. This is about coming into a place that we together, like, give him glory and praise and honor. We can't believe you've forgiven us from all the what, we, what we've done. So here's a woman who understood she'd been forgiven. I love that. Look at the next verse. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, he's already done that. He's already done that. Why does he do that again? Because she needed reassurance. She didn't come in peace. She came in anxiety. This woman is anxious I am an outcast. I couldn't come to the temple. I couldn't come to the synagogue. I couldn't be a part of all this. I am cast out of normal activities. So here she comes to find the very one who could give her everything that she ever looked for and wanted for. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Look at the next verse. The other guests began to say among themselves, well, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus wraps it up by saying this. Yeah. Your faith has saved you. You go in peace. And folks, everybody's stunned. Everybody is in complete awe of what's taking place in the house. Just like Jesus, to stun everybody in the house, isn't he? Now, we're wrapping up our home series today. And the point of this morning is you you want Jesus in your home. And there's all kinds of statistics. I had a file this thick of material and statistics I wanted to share with you, and I don't have time. But people who have faith, Jewish faith, Catholic faith, Protestant faith, Pentecostals, Presbyterians. You did, and by the way, that's just really kind of funny. There's a big difference. How many of you were raised Presbyterian in the room? Raised Presbyterian. How many of you were raised Pentecostal? 
Anybody parents? Yep, Pentecostal. Okay. So my friend Jeff in the crane business, he's Presbyterian. He says, you know, in church services, he said, we never raise our arms. He said, we are the frozen chosen. We just sit there just completely frozen in, in the chairs. Now, I got some other friends of mine that are Pentecostal, and they say to me, if you're not moving in church, that means you've died. You're dead. You're, you're, you're not alive. And so no, no, matter, no matter what the faith is, people of homes of faith have such a difference with divorce rates, sexual harassment, just poverty. Everything is completely different when, when Jesus are, are, is in the house. So what does that look like? I want to paint a picture for just a couple minutes. What does it look like to have Jesus in your home? And yes, it means to have Bibles in your home. Absolutely. Yes, it means to have maybe Christian music playing in the kitchen and throughout that. Absolutely. Yes, it means to have scriptures maybe on the walls. And we have scriptures in our house, several different bedrooms on the walls. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that just this morning. Because when Jesus is in your house, this is what it looks like. Number one. You will have love, joy, and peace. Doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. But what will permeate the culture of your home is love, joy, and peace. If Jesus is in the house, guess what you'll have? Prayer. Prayer is like the first response. Well, why don't we pray about this? Let, let's, let's, let's hold a prayer meeting. Let, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's pray about your opportunity. Let's pray about your challenge. Prayer becomes the first response, not the what? Last response. Very good. You are awake. Number three, Scripture rules. In a house where Jesus lives, in a house where Jesus dwells, Scripture becomes the dominant influence in that home. Well, I don't know what we should do. What does the Bible say? I don't know how we should handle this. Is there anything in the Scriptures? I don't know what we should, how, how, what should our attitude be about this? This isn't good, or this is great. What, what does the Scripture say about this? Scriptures rule within the house. If Jesus is in the house, spiritual discussions are normal. I, I like this one. It's not atypical to have a spiritual discussion. Let's talk about this. I'm not sure what we should do. What, what do you think we should do? Let's talk about what God would want us to do. If Jesus is in the house, biblical activities become mainstream. Fasting becomes mainstream. Giving becomes mainstream. Praying becomes mainstream. Serving becomes mainstream. When Jesus is in the house, those things just become normal. They become mainstream of what we are to say and what we are to do. If Jesus is in the house, you'll talk less about people and more of how to help them. Have you ever noticed this? Little people talk about people. Big people talk about ideas. And so you want to be a big person. Big people don't talk about people. Big people talk about how can we help people in their lives. If Jesus is in the house, someone may stumble, but we're all going to come around her. We're all going to come around him. We're all going to come around the couple. We're going to help lift them up. If Jesus is in the house, we're going to ask, Lord, what's your plan? We have an opportunity to move. We have an opportunity for a promotion. We have a challenge. What, what's your plan? I, I just got a scholarship. Should I go to the college? Should I go to graduate school? What, what's your plan? If Jesus is in the house, humility, forgiveness, and helpfulness, they become the foundation. 
Let me ask you a question this morning. Do, do you get it? Do, do you get it? Well, yesterday afternoon, I was um, at a public place. I'm not going to mention where it was, but I was at a, a large place, and I was walking for about an hour. And on Saturdays, it takes me about three hours to learn this message. And so it takes me about three hours to get it from here to here. And so I'm walking yesterday, memorizing today's message, going through it, trying to really digest it. And um, I'm not going to tell you who he was. I'm not going to tell you where I was. If you ask me, I still won't tell you, okay? But I run into a guy who's got the pedigree, the Bible college degrees, the seminary degrees, I'm several years older than I am, uh, an incredible, had an incredible ministry, and just really had a falling, just really went off the, the, the grid. And um, I saw him, and I couldn't wait to see him. I saw him, you know, about a, I don't know, half a block away or so, and I saw him. I thought that was him, and I got close to him, and just said, how are you? And I started asking questions about his life, and he, he's backing up. He, he's back. The conversation's over. He don't want to talk to me. I asked him three quick questions about him and his family, got very terse, quick responses. Never a question about me or Danita or Eric, Ethan, or Emily or my family or Jeff. Never a question. The conversation's over. And I, I, I'm walking with my head down now going, what just happened there? That was just awkward, weird, unnecessary. I got my head down, and there's a car somewhere in the vicinity, and I'm not on the beaten path. I'm off a little bit. And this car pulls over, rolls the window down, and says, hey, Kurt, hey, Kurt. wasn't the other man. It was a different man. The guy that's yelling at me now is a Marine, retired Marine, a, naval, a, a Marine officer, semi in our neighborhood. We're trying to get to know him. They don't go to church. We like him. We love him. We're building a friendship with him now for the last two years. This guy can't wait to come talk to me. Now, I'm not Jesus in this illustration, all right? Don't misunderstand this. But I thought to myself, my goodness, there can't be a greater contrast. Here's a guy that should, have get, should get it and should have something in common with. We should have some common ground about ministry and theology and doctrine. Here's a Marine that, you know, we're Americans and we're men and we love our families and we had this great, incredible conversation. He's making fun of me. You know, you're out here exercising. And, you know, he was training, actually. And I thought to myself, if this was Jesus, was this like Simon? I thought, Lord, you've given me the perfect illustration for this sermon. Nobody's going to believe this. This is like one of those preacher stories that are too good to be true, but it actually happened. I said, Lord, when you showed up at that house, and now I got it. Now I got the point of the story. Who did Jesus want to be with? Did he want to hang out with Simon the Pharisee? Or did he want to be with the woman? The woman who came there. The woman who came there, she'd already received him. She'd already been forgiven, but she came full of anxiety. I can't be forgiven. I can't be accepted. I still got all this shame. There's no way that that Savior could take away all this shame. And I thought to myself, that's exactly my situation with this guy. 
I would rather, much rather be with him, the Marine, than I would the other guy, the theologian. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you, daughter. Your faith has saved you. You're okay. I know you lived a sinful life. I know you made all these mistakes. Your faith has saved you. Honey, go in peace. Go, go in peace. And so maybe this morning you do get it. And you're really sorry about some of the things that you've said and done in the past. And you come into this room and you still have some anxiety. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I've made those mistakes. I can't believe I did all those things. And so you come today and you go, am I really forgiven? Am I really set free? Jesus would say to you, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You came in with anxiety. You're going to leave with great peace and comfort. And so when you get it, you can't help but love him. You can't help but be overwhelmed by what he's done for you. When you don't get it, it's perfunctory. When you don't get it, you just go to church. When you don't get it, you go to Christmas and Easter. When you don't get it, you just show up. But when you get it, you are in awe of who he is. You are brimming over with gratitude. You can't wait to honor him. You can't wait to praise him. You can't wait to confess your sin. You can't wait to experience the peace he's offered to every single one of us. My friends, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Because your life is indelibly marked and changed and transformed forever. And you just brim. It's like if somebody bumps into you, you just, you're brimming over with gratitude. And so maybe today you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you don't think you have to. You're a pretty good person. Well, everybody needs to share their heart with Christ and say, I, I need you. I want you. And so we'll have prayer partners down front. Maybe today you are a Christian. You've already done this. Camp meeting somewhere, youth group sometime, church service five years ago. But there's anxiety. And you're just anxious because there's not a lot of peace. Well, come down front. Let our prayer partners pray for you. and Let them pray over you. Maybe you came in with anxiety. My friend, leave with incredible, amazing peace. He who has been forgiven little, they love little. But he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Let's stand. Let's pray. Let's have our prayer partners come down front. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. There's never been anybody like you. There never will be anybody like you, Jesus. And so we worship you this morning. We worship you today. Oh, God, what a story. What a story. May it impact us the rest of our lives. In your wonderful name we pray, amen.